you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. It's important to note in this passage that it seems pretty clear that Jesus knows and knew what he was doing. He has a cult in mind and a sentence to utter in case people which he foreknew would say, what are you doing untying that cult? And the cult was brought to him. Jesus knew the implications of riding through the streets in this way. For 150 years before, uh, the Judas the Hammer, Judas Maccabeus led a revolt against the Seleucid dynasty and they won. They revolted against their oppressors, their captors, the ones who had occupied their land and they had kicked them out to find peace. But now they're under a new oppression. Another thing Judas the hammer did is he stamped within the coin a palm branch to commemorate the winning of their revolution. A sign of hope that Israel could once more be sovereign, that David's kingship would be restored, that Zion would be great again. 150 years before, this is still fresh on the mind for the Jewish people are not ones to be oppressed well, even though time and time again, they are crying out and God time and time again is liberating those voices as he looks upon his people. Jesus knew the implications of riding through the street in this way. Hosanna, save us now. Liberate us. We're with you. We're willing to risk our necks for you. We will wave palm branches for you with Pilate watching. With soldiers all around, we're ready to risk it all to restore the kingdom of David. Oh, Jesus knew what he was doing. What put the nails in his hands as he allowed the people for the very first time to say exactly who he was. Jesus is king. But as we know on this side of the cross, it's unfortunate, but it's a reality that those proclaiming his kingship were as ignorant as those mocking his kingship on the cross, for they wanted a king, but they had a vision of themselves. Their cries of Hosanna, save us, meant save us as long as we get a say in how it's done an idea in their minds of what liberation looked like that limited their view of what the king would be and where he would become with a limited view of what restoration and liberation against oppression actually looked like. They speak of salvation. They speak of deliverance. They cry out and they risk it all. The religious leaders knew the repercussions that were to come. They wanted to do their very best at distancing themselves from this brewing rebellion. They said to Jesus even, why do you let them worship you like this and say this? And he even says, if they do not, the rocks will cry out. The religious leaders couldn't stand this, not because they were mad at the blasphemy, but they knew the repercussions that were to come for their entire way of life, their status quo, their prestige, their honor, their privilege would be stripped away just as it was by the Babylonians in the book of Jeremiah. They knew this and they began to plot. 
they begin plotting, how can we get ahead of this thing? How can we silence this voice? How can we shut down this movement? How can we block a coming revolution? How can we stop this man? Well, we'll see on Good Friday their plan come into action. We'll see on Good Friday what exactly the implications of this entry come to pass. And we will wrestle with it as we sit in the tension. We're here today on Palm Sunday, 2021, on this side of the cross. And we embrace yet another tension. That tension is the fact that things are still not as they should be. And that we want liberation and salvation. But we seem to be limited in our view of just what that is. And so as Lent is still upon us and we haven't concluded it just yet, we pray for forgiveness at the times that we've cried out to the king without understanding exactly who he was or where he was from. We repent and we lament the fact that there's been times we've had our expectations and our ideas of what Jesus was to look like only to find ourselves shattered and disappointed by the way in which Jesus chose to act. So it's our prayer today to just take a moment where you are. Take a moment. And we're going to embrace the silence and the tension of what that means. You can close your eyes where you're at. And see Jesus riding on this colt. It's an undersized young donkey. His feet may be dragging the ground. See it in its satire even. Now look around you and see the desperation of the people crying out, save us. Maybe even hear your own voice crying out, save us. Save us from what? From what source of oppression do we need saving? Individually, collectively, what are we crying out against to be saved from? Feel it. Allow yourself in this moment just to feel that. Acknowledge the tension points. Acknowledge the resistance. And we cry out to you, Jesus, save us. Save us. You may open your eyes. Now, the way that we, we follow the church calendar here at Kaleo, and the way that this year, which is 
year B in the lectionary, which the lectionary is just basically a set of texts that we follow uh, for the entire year. And in the Lenten season, we're going through mostly Mark, some of John, and then some Old Testament passages, which we as a church decided to go through the Old Testament promises. And it was a fun ride. There were challenging texts. Chris preached about snakes biting people. And that was a fun sermon. You can go on kaleophx.com and check it out if you weren't here. It's a fairly good one, if I may say so. I got to preach about God destroying the earth with water and hanging up his war bow in the sky, unstrung, pointing away from creation and at himself. That was a fun one as well. And then last week, we, were, we concluded our Old Testament promises with the promise of God to restore all things. But the context of that even was, again, Israel being oppressed by a foreign entity and dragged off and stripped of their identity and abandoned and alienated from God themselves. Utterly desperate in desperation, stripped of their identity and the things that they had known, the God that they worshiped, left in the wilderness in the silence that was to come. And we see again an echo of that same dispensation where the people are crying out because their identities are being stripped from them and they're in the streets and it's that sense of urgency that they scream, save us, save us. And Jesus lets them scream. He lets them say it. But instead of liberation from one foreign entity, Jesus had a bigger picture. Jesus had a different narrative for he did not come to save a limited amount in a specific geographical region from a specific empire, but he came to liberate all of us who are subject to sin and he defeated death itself. It's this supersessionism, if you will, of God taking what was and what was limited and what was naive and what was seen from a ground level and having this orchestrated event in which he rose above and defied expectation. It's a beautiful story. And right there, as he comes in, as he rides in on the donkey, feet dragging and everything, and that's a funny picture because Jesus was probably 5'3", 123 pounds. Most likely. Jesus riding in, his, his garments not bright shining white. There's no sashes, there's no gold crown. There's just Jesus riding an undersized donkey. The irony is there and again, Jesus knows what he's doing. So the way that the year B is set up is that this Palm Sunday is coupled with the passion story. And well, we're going to have a good Friday service online. Please check it out. You'll get a link. You'll see it on our Instagram, all of the fun stuff. Effort has been put into it, making it a place where you can meet Jesus on the cross as we have this, this climax of the Christian story and the season of Lent. But before we get to Good Friday, Looking at the implications of what Jesus is doing to lead up to that is important. For it is God getting himself killed by allowing the people, even though they didn't know what they were saying, to say, you are king. A king on a donkey. 
dirty clothes and disheveled hair, unkempt, if you will, riding on a donkey with his friends, these fishermen from the Galilean region following him, not generals and lieutenants, but a rabbi on a donkey with a scraggly gang of misfits following him, with women following him, Jesus on a donkey. We see it, don't we? But we can't fully appreciate it until we see the whole picture. The band's going to come up and usher in the Holy Spirit for us. That's a joke. The Spirit's already here. We just need to become aware of it. But you can feel it more when there's some swelling going on. Jesus on a donkey. Caesar in the chariot. He wore a gold crown, a purple sash, and red boots. And sometimes he even rocked a red painted face in honor of the God, Jupiter. His family was behind him, sharing in his glory. The treasures that he had plundered were on display for the crowd to see. Those he had conquered were stripped naked and placed in chains, saying that these are our enemies and they have been defeated and they cannot hurt you anymore. Caesar being pulled behind four war horses. Going up to the temple and making this show of sacrifice. That was Caesar in his triumph. And the end was him worshiping the God of Jupiter who wielded thunderbolts and craved the offerings of blood. That was Caesar. This is Jesus. He wore a crown of thorns he himself was brought in again through the streets, but this time in chains. He was beaten and stripped naked. His feet, his hands, and his face were painted red with his own blood. His disciples had scattered and abandoned him, for he was alone. However, it was the peak of his accomplishment. It's the climax of the story. The offering that was made was not at this elaborate, beautiful, decorated temple, but on a mountain called the Skull. There was a plaque above his head mocking his kingship and his rule saying, King of the Jews, himself stripped naked, beaten, spat upon, mocked, humiliated. This is our king. And I want to pose a question. Can you see Jesus' kingship through his humiliation? You don't have to answer that. For it's one that we'll probably be asking for the rest of our lives as we follow this Messiah. Can you see the divine rule in the humiliation of the cross? For it is not a beautiful thing. It is not a piece of jewelry. It is not a wall decoration or even what we see in our churches. It's a splintered, wooden, violent, humiliating thing. Devised to bring utter torture and humiliation 
to have a long, slow, humiliating death in which people could witness themselves and hurl their insults. That is what happens when you stand up against Rome. We'll give you a throne in the shape of a cross. We'll allow you to rise, but in condescension. Jesus cries out, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here at the pinnacle of Lent, we receive that forgiveness. And we confess, for we do not know what we do also. But by the grace of God, he strung that war bow one more time and he faced it towards himself and he took upon the entire violence and sin into his own body in order that we may not be conquered by it anymore. The liberation was accessible to all. This is the triumph of Jesus Christ. This is our king. It's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? And we hold the tension. Kind of like in the movies when there's a charge coming forward and William Wallace says, hold. It's not a very Anabaptist reference, but it works hold the discomfort of the boots pounding echo in our bodies as we want to react quickly but still we hold hold and as we do we look at the red painted face of our savior hanging on a cross and we live in the hope that it did not end there. However, that's where we'll end this Palm Sunday. Jesus, we actually, even though words have been dedicated to you, don't have them. We still wrestle with trying to articulate just exactly what that means and we admit our shortcomings as we cry out Hosanna and declare your kingship. God, we know that the Christian story has a climax and is found on the cross in the three days that follow. And we wear that, God, as we continue to fight the urge of saying we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but you. Oh, they won't like that, will they? As the fort looks over our own worship, we have no king but you. That's it. And we sing of your victory because we live on this side of the cross and we know that it is finished, but we still live in the reality that it is not fully fulfilled and yet we have hope. And our hope is found in the humiliation, God. May we be willing to stoop that low. And know that it is not comfortable and it is not easy, but still we have hope. For it is finished. 
and you have forgiven us and you have won and you have called us to live in this subversive kingdom the best we know how in the year 2021. God, may we as a community do that together. Not meant to be alone, but together. Flaws and all. We're thankful for who you are, for what you've done, for this attempt even to give it words. We thank you. Meet us where we're at, for you already have and you continue to do so. It's in your name that we pray and we cry out. It's finished. Thanks be to God. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.